Really excited to be with you. Um, Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, I was excited to be with you because um, in my time where I've not been involved with the church, Aaron just did a great job. Uh, But I did miss you and uh, was just looking forward to coming back and seeing the church again and seeing how God has worked in you. And it's very clear in the two and a half years or three that I, I haven't been here that God has been very kind to you. And that he has been at work. And uh, it's, it's, there are a number of evidences of grace. That's a term we use in sovereign grace. But it's a good term. A number of evidences of grace that you see God at work in you as a church. And uh, that's wonderful. And just a, a real faith for me um, coming out of this time together. That God is, God is going to continue to use you for the proclamation of the gospel. And uh, I just think you're going to see fruit from that. I really do. Tim and I were praying for it uh, yesterday as we, we just spent some time praying together. And, and God's just going to bless you that way. You should also know, one of the other reasons I wanted to be here is how important you are to our mission in Sovereign Grace. And you might feel somewhat disconnected from Sovereign Grace at times. But you're very much a part of our church family. The fact that you are here uh, in Toronto proclaiming and spreading the gospel encourages our churches greatly. You should know that. And so one of the things when I will do is when I go back home, I'm going to be telling others about the work that you are doing here, and it will greatly encourage them. So thank you for your partnership in the mission. I think there's two things that stand out regarding you. Uh, One I just mentioned, you're a church who has a heart for the lost, and reaches out with the gospel. And it's a wonderful strength that you have that I think in some churches in Sovereign Grace is actually a weakness. And so you provide a great example for us. And then secondly, you're just a church that prays and prays often. And that is a wonderful example as well. So those are two specific ways that you strengthen our church family. So if nothing else, I want to come here and say thank you for your partnership. Thank you for the way that you strengthen Sovereign Grace. Okay, you're at 2 Corinthians 3, right? I want to talk to you this afternoon about the one in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I want to talk to you about the one that Scripture presents to us as preeminent over all. I want to talk to you about the greatest being in the universe. See, this afternoon I want to talk to you about our Jesus. Because as disciples, we want to be people who gaze often at the glory of Christ in a way that compels our worship and stirs our affections and increases our delight so that Jesus Christ alone is our supreme treasure. In fact, to do that, I want us to to grapple with one question. We want to answer one question this morning. How do, how do we treasure Jesus more? How do we treasure Christ more? Now, this particular message springs from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 12 through 18. We're going to exegete or exposit those verses And then we're going to depart from some of those verses and go to other uh, verses in the Bible as well. So the the message is a little bit more topical than what I typically preach and a little bit more practical in its nature. But I want you to know our commitment and Tim's commitment to bring exegetical precision and exposition of God's word. So just keep in mind, this will be a little bit more of a topical message. The the title of my message this, this afternoon is Treasure Him More. Treasure him more, and we're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, but 
When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we go to pray, I want you to know that I spent time praying for you this morning and again this afternoon. Had a, had a very similar impression that was shared by Shirley. That some of you sitting here are going through a really difficult time. And because of the difficulty that you're facing, there's been darkness in your life at times. Not an evil darkness, but a darkness that's been marked by discouragement and disillusionment. And because of that darkness, so to speak, imagery in your life, because of that, you're having trouble seeing the glory of Christ. And I believe that one of the works of the Spirit that's going to happen as we go through this passage is that the Lord is going to help you to lift that darkness and you're going to again behold the glory of Christ in a way that your soul will not only be fed, but in ways that you haven't recently, you're going to, to treasure Jesus more. So if that's you in particular, as we go to pray, I'm going to pray for you. So let's, let's pray now. Lord, we, we approach this passage knowing that be, only because of Jesus, the veil that once covered our heart has now been removed. And we can draw near to you as sons and daughters. We can draw near to you not fearing wrath because we've been washed in the blood of Christ. We can draw near to you and we can anticipate your love and your care that comes through the preaching of the word and through the work of the Spirit. And so we pray for that work of the Spirit now. Like Nathan prayed earlier, we pray that the Spirit would fill us and the Spirit would bring this passage to life, not only in our minds but in our hearts, so that we would be a people who would behold Jesus, that we would stand in awe of him and he would be our greatest treasure. And we pray for those that are, that are here that are going through a difficult time, that, that darkness marks their life and fill them with your spirit in particular. Lift this darkness from them and help them to see Jesus in a way they haven't seen him for some time. Help him, help them to set the eyes of their heart upon his glory. And may that stir and feed and delight their souls. As you do this work that we've just prayed for, do it in a way that draws all the attention to you so that you would receive all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you live in a house that is built on top of the Grand Canyon in the United States. And in this house, as you walk into this house, it has a, a, a big family room. And it has a great big picture window that fills a particular wall. And as you look out that window, it, it looks out over the Grand Canyon and down into the Colorado River. Living in this house, you have access to one of the, the, the most amazing views this world has to offer. But one thing that's peculiar about this house is that when you walk into your house... There's this dark, drab, ceiling-to-floor-length curtain that covers that window and is closed at all times. Anyone in their right mind who walks into your house, they, they would say to you, why do you keep that curtain closed? Don't you want to see that breathtaking view? See, verse 18 is a summary of 2 Corinthians chapter 3 where Paul is contrasting the old covenant to the new covenant that we have in Christ. Those of the old covenant, those who don't know Christ, those before Christ, we are told in verses 14 and 15, they have this veil that covers their heart. A veil like a curtain in that house remains unlifted in their lives. They cannot see Jesus or their need for Jesus Christ. 
And according to verse 14, we know that this veil that Paul is writing about, it refers to a a blindness, a spiritual blindness, a hardness of mind and heart where people can't see Jesus or their need for what Jesus has done for us. Look at verse 14 with me. But their minds were hardened. For to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. See, according to to verse 14, this, this blindness remains. It's a contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant. People of the new covenant where the veil has been removed. This, this contrast is not just a historical one. This contrast is a present day contrast as well between non-Christian and Christian. So if you keep reading in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this afternoon and you're not a Christian and you're not a believer, there there is this veil that covers your heart that you can't truly see Jesus for who he is. You don't see your need for what he's accomplished for you as he died on the cross for your sins. And if that's you, we're so glad that you're here because Christ can lift that veil. He can lift that veil so you can see your need for Jesus. And when that happens, you turn from your sin and you place your faith in his finished work on the cross. And if that's you, talk to someone here. They will tell you about the gospel. And this veil can be removed from your heart. But for those of us that sit here as believers, these verses remind us that like the curtain that blocked that breathtaking view of the Grand Canyon in that house, these verses remind us that we once had a veil over our heart that remained unlifted. We, like all people, we were blind. We were blind and we could not see. Our minds and our hearts, they were hardened. As verse 14 says, we saw no need for Jesus Christ. And so we lived our own way until what happened. Until as verse 16 says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is suddenly removed. It reminds us that something outside of us acts upon our sin-sick, blind souls and hearts. The Spirit of God regenerates our hearts. In that moment, the veil is removed. Our eyes are opened, and we see our sin, and we see our need for a Savior to save us from our sin through his atoning work on the cross. We are reminded this afternoon that once we were blind, but now we see, because Christ has removed the veil from our hearts. Now, verse 18 is filled with imperative, meaning that it's filled with things that we're to do. Verse 18 tells us that we are to behold the glory of Christ. See, that imperative to behold, we must remember, is rooted in this gospel indicative of verse 16, that because of Christ alone, Because of Christ alone, the veil, like the curtain in that house, the veil that covered our hearts has been removed. And because of Christ alone, you and I this afternoon, we can boldly, as verse 12 tells us, we can freely, as verse 17 tells us, draw near to Christ and you and I, we can behold his glory so that we can treasure him more. Now the word behold here, used in verse 18, it means to see. It means to to gaze upon. The Bible tells us that there are two kinds of sight that we have. We have our physical sight because God gave us the eyes that he created us with. But the Bible tells us that there's a spiritual sight that we have as well. There's these eyes of our heart, the the eyes of our minds, the eyes of our inner being that give us spiritual sight. And just like we care for our physical eyes, we have to care for our spiritual eyes as well. We must be a people 
who tend to our souls in that sense. We have to tend to our souls and make sure that our, our sightings of the glory of Christ don't grow dim. Like the, 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 the drape that covers that window, we got to make sure that nothing is obscuring the most breathtaking view of the universe, that being the glory of Jesus Christ. And so we must be a people who behold often the glory of Christ. Because beholders become treasures. And so if you want to know how to treasure Christ more, you must behold his glory. But let's, let's be more specific in that, than that. How do you and I, how do we treasure Christ more? How do you and I do that? Well, I'm going to give you a list of things to consider. And as we go through this list, you're going to find that there's really nothing surprising on this list. In fact, as we go through this list, you're going to find it's a pretty obvious list. Before I was um, in ministry, I worked for a pharmaceutical company for about 14 years. And one of the things I noticed in, 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 in working for this company is we would pay consultants thousands and thousands of dollars to come into our company and tell us what was wrong when things weren't going right. And I can remember sitting in these meetings and these consultants, after doing their study and their research, they would present to us what we needed to do. And I sat in these meetings and as they sort of listed out these things to do, I realized these were obvious things. The reason we were paying them thousands of dollars to tell us this is because we were neglecting the obvious. And so when we go through this list of these obvious things, look for where you may be neglecting the obvious. And I'll charge you my consultant fee later. How's that? I'll just do it that way. So here, here are six ways to behold and treasure Jesus. Six ways to, to behold and treasure Jesus. Number one, pray to behold and treasure. Pray to behold and treasure. Now, now, we know from these verses here in, in verses 12 through 18 that because God has lifted the veil from your heart, because God has done that, you can approach God boldly in verse 12. Not, not reluctantly, but boldly. You can approach him freely, verse 17. You see, what you've got to be reminded of, what we need to be reminded of often, is that nothing, because of Christ, nothing separates us from God. We can come boldly, and we can come freely, and we can draw near to him, and we can pray. Now, let's just be honest with one another. There, there are times when the eyes of our heart begin to fall asleep a bit. There are times when our affections for Jesus grow tepid, when our, when our spiritual hunger becomes very weak. We all experience that as believers. Within the last couple of weeks, I remember a, a Monday where I was going down to do my devotions, sat down at my desk. I was feeling physically tired. I was feeling mentally tired and emotionally tired. And uh, I, I just I got out my Bible and um, I just began to read. And that particular morning, as I, as I read God's word, it just, it came off the page, it hit my head, and it bounced back down the desk. I mean, nothing was happening. You ever have those times when your soul's like flatlined and you feel like you're almost spiritually dead? I've, I've had just mornings like that. And I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm earnestly like you, I'm earnestly wanting to read God's word. I want to behold the glory of Christ, but I can't. And on a particular morning, I just push back from my desk and I'm like, Lord, I can't do this. I need your help. And so would you fill me with your spirit and would you help me to read your word so I can behold the glory of Christ? You see, we need to, we need to take those times of weakness. We need to take, take those times of spiritual tepidness and we need to convert them to passionate prayers. And we need to ask God, Ask God to fill us with his spirit so that we can behold the glory of Christ. Now, here's what, I, here's what I want to point out to you. Do you know that Jesus Christ actually prayed for you personally that way? Did you realize that? He prayed for you personally in this particular way. So in John chapter 17, it's known as the, the high priestly prayer. We know that he's praying for us, for you, in verse 20 when he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those 
who will believe in me. He's praying for all future Christians. And not just in a general way, he knows you by name. And this is the way that that Christ prayed for you. This is one of the ways he prayed for you. Listen to this, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to do what? To see my glory. Christ prayed that we would see his glory. And if Jesus prayed that we would see his glory, it seems like it's a good idea that we might pray to see his glory as well. So when the eyes of your heart grow dim, when you're too tired to treasure Christ, when you would rather give up than behold the glory of Christ, pray the same prayer that Jesus prayed. Help me to see your glory. And know this, the power that lifted the veil from your heart so that you could see Jesus for the very first time for who he is, that power that lifted the veil from your heart, that's the same power that you'll be given in that moment so that you can behold and treasure. So, number one, pray to behold and treasure. Number two, here's the second thing you can do. Read scripture to behold and treasure. Read scripture to behold and treasure. You know, what's, what's interesting about these verses is that they tell us that the people of the Old Covenant, when they went to read Scripture, their minds were hardened. In other words, they couldn't understand what was fully happening there. So look at verses 14 and 15 again. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ... Is it taken away? Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, so again, they're reading scripture, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. See, there's this contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant. We are not old covenant people. Because of Christ, you and I, we are new covenant people. And new covenant people have this veil removed from our hearts. And so when we go to read scripture, Christ and the glory of Christ will be revealed to us. You see, we have to read scripture because it's the primary way that God has chosen to reveal Jesus Christ to us. It's where we see Jesus most clearly. It's where we will know him most intimately is when we read our Bibles. You see, Let's say it this way. Our Bibles are filled with treasures that will help us treasure Christ more. That's what our Bibles are filled with. Now, are you familiar with a a man by the name of George Mueller? Some of you might be familiar with George Mueller, a a wonderful evangelist, a man who built a number of orphanages in the mid-19th century in England. He was a real man of faith. He was a man who was also known for just his delight in God. He, he just loved to delight in God. And so he was grappling with a similar question we're grappling with this afternoon. Our question is, how do we treasure Christ more? Here's, here's what Mueller said. How shall we learn to enjoy God? Kind of a similar question, isn't it? How shall we learn to enjoy God? How shall we obtain such an all-sufficient, all-sufficient, soul-satisfying portion in him as shall enable us to let go the things of this world as vain and worthless in comparison. Here's his answer. I answer, this happiness is to be obtained through the study of the Holy Scriptures. God has therein revealed himself unto us in the face of Jesus Christ. To to know this happiness in Christ to to delight more in Christ, to treasure Christ more, we must read the Holy Scriptures. And so what I want to propose to you is, is that you need to have, as a believer, you need to have this stable of passages that you can read that will help you to treasure Christ. And when you're having trouble treasuring Christ, you have to know where you can go, what Scriptures in your Bible that you can go to that will help you treasure Christ more. So I want, to give you, I want to give you some verses that are in my stable of passages that help me treasure Christ. I want to read to you Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And they lay before us the preeminence of Christ. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he, meaning Christ, he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, he, meaning Jesus, might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. See, on those mornings when my, my eyes are sleepy and I'm having trouble treasuring Christ, this is, these are some of the verses that I go to and I read them slowly over and over again until my affections are stirred and it's held, what's held before me is the beauty and the preeminence of Christ. I read verses like Hebrews chapter 1. Verses 1 through 4 that, that speak about the superiority of Jesus Christ. So here's my question for you. What are, what are the verses that you have? What are your stable of passages that you are building so that you can go to them to treasure Christ? And when you're having trouble treasuring, do you know where to go to in Scripture? So read Scripture to behold and treasure. Here's the third thing. Meditate to behold and treasure. Meditate to behold and treasure. We're, we're, not, we're called not only to read God's word. It's clear in scripture we're called to meditate on it as well. Psalm 145 verse 5 says, On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Those are great things to set our hearts and minds on, right? What are we supposed to do with those? I will meditate. And the word meditate in Hebrew, it basically means to, to speak or to mutter. It, it means to muse, to, to mull over. It means to ask questions about what you're reading, to ponder its implications for your life. And so what I want us to do is to, to meditate on one verse we just read. Colossians chapter 1 verse 17. And I want us together, I want us to meditate on it together as a way to treasure Christ more. Colossians 1 verse 17 says this, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now let's, let's mull over it together. What does it mean to you that Christ is before all things? What does that mean to you? What does that mean for you and, and for your life? What does it mean that Jesus Christ actually holds all things together. What, what does that mean? And if Christ does hold all things together, what are the implications for your life right now? So some of you are walking through a difficult time. We, we've walked, all of us have walked through difficult times when it appears like our life is fraying and falling apart. We've had those experiences, Right? And we take that experience and we lay it in Colossians 1.17. And when our life is falling apart, what we learn here is that Christ holds it all together. That even though you think your life is fraying, Christ is standing on your behalf. Christ is holding all things together. And if Christ has that kind of power to hold all things together in your life, doesn't that cause you to step back and stand in awe of Jesus and who he is, doesn't that cause you to say, who is this? Doesn't it cause you to treasure him more? See, my, my point is this. We took one verse, and we meditated on it, and it can stir your soul. It can stir your treasuring of Christ. So beholders meditate so they can treasure. Okay, here's the fourth thing. Read good books to behold and treasure. Now, we primarily want to be reading Scripture because that's where Christ is primarily revealed to us. But there are good books that will help us treasure Christ more. Books that are, that are biblically sound, that are rich in truth. And I find that those books, at times, are the tougher books to read, actually. And so you and I, we've got to be, we've got to be willing to read through some tough books that make us stop 
and make us think hard about Christ that, that really help sharpen the, the sight and the eyes of our, of our heart. C.S. Lewis, he, he says it this way. I tend to find that the doctrinal books are often more helpful in devotion than the devotional books. And I rather suspect the same experience may await many others. I believe that many who find that nothing happens when they sit down or kneel down to a book of devotion would find that the heart sings unbidden while they are working their way through a tough bit of theology with a pipe in their teeth and a pencil in their hand. So, if you prefer, stick a pipe in your teeth, grab a pencil in your hand and a pad of paper, and read some, some tough books that will help you to treasure Christ. I spent several months last year reading devotionally, as a part of my devotions, the, the letters of Samuel Rutherford. I can't wait to get to heaven and meet Samuel. Because I want to I thank him for how he in particular, over the course of last year, helped me to treasure Jesus more. Samuel Rutherford was a man that lived from 1600 to 1661 in Scotland. He was a Scottish pastor. He was a nonconformist. And what that means is he wouldn't conform to the queen's direction to stop preaching the true and authentic gospel. And because he wouldn't stop preaching the true gospel, he was imprisoned for part of his ministry. He wrote to his people often. People in his church. He also wrote to other people and fellow pastors as well. And in his writings, in his letters, what I found consistently is he wrote to them in a way that helped them to treasure Christ. And so he wrote letters to a mother who had just lost her child to disease. He wrote to a, a pastor and also a man who was a nonconformist who was about two days from being executed because he wouldn't stop preaching the gospel. And in that letter, this, to this man who's about to die, he's holding up the, the glories and the beauty of Christ. He would write to people who were discouraged. And in one of the ways that he encouraged them is he would hold before them the greatness and the preeminence of Jesus. I want to read a section of a letter that was written in 1637 to a man by the name of James Guthrie. Most likely, James Guthrie was an elder in his church at home. At this point in time in Rutherford's ministry, he was in prison in Aberdeen. And so he's writing this letter from his prison, from being imprisoned, and He's writing to Mr. Guthrie, who seems to be discouraged about some things that are happening in his life and happening in the church. And he, he helps Mr. Guthrie's soul by holding out before Mr. Guthrie the beauty of Christ. So let me read to you a part of that letter. This is Samuel writing to, to James. He says this, Come in. Come into Christ." And see what ye want and find it in him. He is the shortcut, as we used to stay, say, and the nearest way of escape of all your burdens. I dare avouch that ye shall be dearly welcome to him. My soul would be glad to take part of the joy ye should find you should have in him. I dare say that angels' pens and angels' tongues, nay, as many worlds of angels as there are drops of water in all the seas and fountains and rivers of the earth cannot paint him out to you. See, he's, he's holding up before Guthrie the beauty of Christ and the vastness of the beauty of Christ. And then he speaks about his own experience. I think his sweetness, the sweetness of Christ, since I was a prisoner, has swelled upon me to the greatest of two heavens. Oh, for a soul as wide as the utmost circle of the highest heaven that containeth all to contain his love. See, Rutherford helped his people by writing to them in the midst of their discouragement and dark times, in the midst of their troubled times, and he would help them by not trying to firstly solve their problems, but to hold up for them the glory of Christ 
and the beauty of Christ so that their souls would look upon, these unveiled souls would be able to look upon Christ and treasure him. So here's my point. You, like me, you've got to have your Rutherfords. You've got to have your authors that you go to outside of Scripture that will help you treasure Christ. And by the way, that's going to be different for different people. Different authors affect different people in different ways. Different writing styles will affect you differently. So here's what you've got to do. It's important to pay attention to what you read and how it stirs your soul. And so if there's a particular book or if there's a particular author that really affects your soul, that helps you to treasure Christ, then read it again. Or get more from that particular author so that you can treasure Jesus more. So books that have helped me. Just Let me just list a few. Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ by John Piper. The Glory of Christ by, by John Owen. And The Loveliness of Christ by Samuel Rutherford. That's just a, a smaller book of, of excerpts from his letters. So here's my question. So besides your stable of passages, what are the books or the authors that help you behold and treasure? Make sure that you know what they are. Okay, here's the fifth thing. Fellowship to behold and treasure. Fellowship to behold and treasure. Now, this letter was written to a church, right? And so when this letter would have been delivered to Corinth, the church would have been gathered, like we're gathered here, and it would have been read to them publicly. They wouldn't have first read this individually. They would have read it together as a church family. I mean, think about it. They, they would have read together, and we all, we all, Corinthian church, we all, Sovereign Grace Church of Toronto, verse 18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. We're all to do that together. See, one of the reasons that after God saves us, that he places us in a community of believers and calls us to have fellowship with one another is because we share Christ. The most important thing that you and I share together as believers is Christ. It's the basis of our fellowship. It's from where our fellowship flows. It should mark our fellowship. It says that this, uh, the author of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews 3. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now here's why. For we share in Christ. For we share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence to the end. One of the ways that you and I will, will hold our original confidence as we march to our eternal home is to share Christ together. And to help one another in treasuring Christ together. So we've got to make sure that our definition of fellowship is defined by our sharing of Christ. We've got to make sure that our definition of fellowship isn't too narrow. That it, it doesn't just only contain confession of sin and praying for one another and getting accountability and encouraging one another. Those things are a part of fellowship. Don't get me wrong. Those are good things. But they need to include at times treasuring, helping each other share Christ and helping each other treasure Christ. Last year in the um, community group that I lead, I, I lead a, a community group of pastors and wives, Jared Mellinger, Jared and Megan Mellinger, Dave and Kim Harvey, Rob and Gina Flood, and, and Jill and I. We, we dedicated an evening to this. So about a week before our community group meeting, that's our, what do you call them, care groups, small groups, tags, sorry. Okay, about a week before our, ta our tags, your tags, our community group, I sent an email to everyone in our tag group, or tag, or yeah, in our tag. And I told them, I want you to come tonight with verses, come to our meeting next week, with verses or quotes or songs that help you to treasure Jesus more. And so that evening, we, we just sat around my family room together and went around the room, and everyone shared scripture passages or quotes or hymns from songs that helped them to treasure Jesus more. It was a very edifying time. I mean, just listening to one another helped us all 
to treasure Jesus more. And so if you're a tag leader, can I say that? Does that work? Okay, so if you're a tag leader here, I don't know how many tag groups you have, uh, or if you're a tag leader, consider sometime over the next year dedicating an evening to that. Just coming and sharing with others what helps you to treasure Christ more. So fellowship to behold and treasure. Okay, sixth and last thing. Sing songs to behold and treasure. Sing songs to behold and treasure. Have you ever noticed that Scripture is filled with songs? All different kinds of songs are found in our Bibles. There are songs of praise. There are songs of deliverance. There are songs of confession and songs of celebration, just to name a few. It seems like God did that intentionally. He built us to, to sing these songs to him as a way to treasure him more. And so songs can be one of the ways that our souls practically can gaze upon the glory of Christ and stir our affections for Jesus more. And so pay attention to what songs stir your soul. Pay attention to what hymns in particular help you to behold the glory of Christ. And so I want to share with you just a a couple, just a, a verse or two that help me at times, especially when my my soul seems very sleepy that help me to treasure Jesus. One from a hymn. Here's a verse from a hymn. You're familiar with Be Thou My Vision? Wonderful hymn. This is one of the verses. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou, thou Jesus, thou my inheritance now and always thou and thou only Jesus be first in my heart O high king of heaven my treasure thou art I can just sing that hymn And I'm amazed at who he is. And that I, a sinful man, get to treasure him. On those days when my soul is flatlined, and I mentioned praying for some of you that experience darkness, when my soul is just in this dark place, there's a particular song from the Sovereign Grace CD, The Gathering. It's called Shine Into Our Night that really affects my soul, that that lifts my soul. And I just want to read to you the chorus from that song. Jesus Christ, shine into our night. Drive our dark away. Till what? Till your glory fills our eyes. Jesus Christ, shine into our night. Bind us to your cross where you find life. See, songs, they can can lift your soul. They can set your eyes upon Christ and they can cause you to behold his glory. So what are the hymns or verses in hymns? What are the the songs, your go-to songs that that you can play when your soul is dead? At least it feels dead. And you can have it lifted so that you can behold and treasure Jesus. So that's my list. That's the things that I would suggest that you could consider doing to behold and treasure Jesus more. It's a pretty obvious list, isn't it? The things on this list are pretty obvious to you. The question is, are there any ways on this list that you're neglecting the obvious? I think we all do. Neglect the obvious, I mean. I think we all do at times neglect the obvious. See, when that happens, you've got to be aware when your sightings of the glory of Christ become dim. Be aware of what's going on in your soul. Tend to it and be aware when the, the sightings of the glory of Christ, they get out of focus. A couple of years ago, I went to the eye doctor because I was having trouble seeing. I, I wear contacts 
And so I was just having trouble with my sight and I just thought my prescription must be changing. And so I went to the eye doctor and she examined my eyes and she said, uh, you know, Mr. Prater, it, it doesn't look like your prescription's changed. So we're all kind of perplexed by that. And so she's looking at things. She's looking at my eyes. She's looking at my contacts and she figured out what was wrong. Now she, she looked at me with one of those faces that says, you're an idiot. You ever, you ever have that experience with your doctor? I've had several times where the doctor looks at you and says, you're an idiot. What she said to me was, you switched your contacts. You put the right in the left eye and the left one in the right eye. That's what you've done. So that's why I was out of focus. But I think we do that with life sometimes. We get, we get things switched around, like I switch my contacts. What becomes least important becomes most important, and what becomes most important becomes least important. And when we begin to live life that way, our sightings of the glory of Christ, they, they get a bit out of focus. And so we, we have to be aware at times when we can live life backwards in that sense, and it can affect our ability to see the glory of, of Jesus. And so I try to think about that in my own life. What are, what are ways when I get life switched around, when least important becomes most important? And what I found in my own life, I'll share a couple of things that, might find in your, that you might find in your life that sort of begin to obstruct my view of the glory of Christ. Here's a first way, just busyness. Busyness itself. The one who has called me and called us to serve him gets neglected because of all the service that we are doing for him. That's what can happen in our life. The late nights, because we're serving so much, can affect our morning devotions. With all that we have going on, when we go to behold Jesus, the eyes of our heart begin to fall asleep. See, we, we can't allow our service for Christ to impede our treasuring of Christ. So just be aware of any busyness in your life that might be affecting your ability to, to behold the glory of Christ. Here's a second one, familiarity. Familiarity. I find that the longer I'm a Christian, the, the more I grow older, that I'm more vulnerable to becoming familiar with Christ. So when I go to, to go to behold him and to see his glory, I can think I've seen that before. When I go to, to gaze and to look at him and, and to know more about him, I can think there's not much more to know and not much more to see. See, familiarity can breed passivity and passivity can cause the eyes of our heart to, to drift asleep, to fall asleep. And that's why you and I, we, we need this stable of passages to go to. The stable of passages that we can meditate on. The songs that we can sing so that when our souls are sleepy, we can have this Red Bull for our souls, so to speak, that injects life into our heart and wakens up the eyes of our heart so we can see and behold the glory of Christ. So maybe you're aware of some ways where you've neglected the obvious things on the list. Or, or maybe you're aware, as I've shared these things, of busyness in your life or familiarity in your life that has affected your ability to behold the glory of Christ. So if that's you, if you're aware of an area where you've neglected the obvious, if you're aware of how you've been obstructed in viewing the glory of Christ, it's very important for me as a preacher and it's very important for me as a pastor that I not leave you this afternoon with things that you haven't done or with things that you need to do. Because you won't find your hope in these things I'm suggesting. It's very important to me that I leave you with the hope that you have in the gospel itself. So remember the imperative, the imperative in verse 18 that calls us to behold the, the glory of Christ. That imperative is rooted in that gospel indicative in verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. That is gospel hope. I want to remind you that the veil that once covered your heart has been removed. 
And that veil will never fall over your heart again. You can now, because of Christ, can freely and boldly come near to him and you can behold his glory. See, that gospel power that removed the veil is the same gospel power that's at work in your life now so that when you cry out for that gospel power, you'll be able to see the beauty of Jesus, you will be able to behold the glory of Jesus, and you will be able to treasure him more. And this gospel hope gets momentum as you read through 2 Corinthians. If we read into 2 Corinthians 4, you find this gospel momentum that's occurring. And we get to verse 6. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. We see this wonderful verse. For God, who said, let light light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I want to remind you from this verse that God has shown gospel light into your heart. It is gospel light that will never go out. It is gospel light that will light your way to Jesus. It will, it will be gospel light that will help you to behold and treasure. So Sovereign Grace Church of Toronto, be a people who gaze often upon Jesus with your way lit up by gospel lights, the light that's shown in your heart, and be a people who often behold and treasure Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that the veil has been lifted from our hearts. And we thank you that that veil will never cover our hearts again. That gospel light has shone into our hearts, and because of that, it lights our way. And I pray for each member of this church, every believer here, that in the days to come, you would sharpen the eyes of their heart to see the beauty of Jesus Christ, to help them behold the glory of Christ. And I pray that this would be a church that treasures him more than anything else. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.